welcome to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. I'm June Grosso. Every day we bring you insight and analysis into the most important legal news of the day. You can find more episodes of the Bloomberg Law Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com slash podcasts. Is President Trump escalating his long-running feud with Amazon and its founder, Jeff Bezos, who also owns the Washington Post? Trump continued his Twitter war this morning. Over the weekend, he tweeted that Amazon must pay real costs and taxes now and that this post office scam must stop. Amazon has said the Postal Service, which has financial problems stretching back for years, makes money on its deliveries. Joining me is Robert Hockett, a professor at Cornell Law School. Bob, the full details of the agreement between Amazon and the U.S. Post Postal Service are not known because the Postal Service makes confidential deals with retailers. So what do we know about it? We don't know a great deal, June. I mean, we, we know a couple of things, right? Apparently, the Post Office does indeed come out ahead out of the deal with Amazon, which is to say it's in the black, right? It, the costs uh, that it incurs in shipping Amazon things are less than the revenue that it generates. We also know that the post office offers similar deals for all package shipments. It's not Amazon-specific. And that, of course, leads me to think that this isn't really about Amazon at all. This is probably more about the Washington Post and Jeff Bezos. Let's talk about taxes which is, it's app month to talk about taxes. Amazon paid yes. a total of $957 million in taxes last year. It collects them everywhere that has a state sales tax. In yes. most states, it doesn't collect taxes on the products that third-party vendors sell through the site. Is it acting completely legally? It is acting uh, quite legally. There's nothing scammy about it unless there's a scam in the tax code. And, of course, I would be prepared to countenance that. Um, and I wish that the president were prepared to countenance that there's a huge scam in the tax code as well. But he seems to have put uh, or to have acted quite actively uh, to put some of uh, additional scams into the tax code this past December. And there's a Supreme Court case pending, a ruling in that case involving online retailers collecting sales taxes. Could that have an impact on Amazon's collection? of taxes? Well, in theory, it could. It really just depends on what, you know, what, how the court goes about interpreting the tax code itself here. And that's, of course, a notoriously convoluted code. It's difficult for people to interpret. Indeed, tax lawyers and judges with expertise in tax law are often thought of as being eccentric precisely because <laughs> they're able to, to, to sort of know at the backs of their hands uh, these very convoluted rules and then, of course, the regulations that are promulgated uh, under them. So there might be some effect, but thus far, right, as far as we know right now, the dominant understanding of the tax code and what it requires is such as to show that Amazon is indeed in compliance with tax law. Hence, if there's a scam going on, that that scam is in the law itself, not in Amazon's um, use of that law. It's also ironic, I have to say, right, because people have often noted that uh, Trump himself has declared bankruptcy multiple times and taken advantage of that. And his retort is always, well, the bankruptcy code allows that. So I've simply taken advantage of the law and what it allows me. And Amazon can rejoin uh, with the same reply uh, to to Trump on this one. Let's let's discuss what Trump could do about Amazon if he decided to take the fight beyond the tweets. Could he push for regulatory investigations of Amazon, either for antitrust, privacy, or other reasons? He could. I mean, in theory, he could direct the Justice Department to conduct some sort of an inquiry or some sort of an inquest. The problem is that if this is simply based on his whim or on his sort of personal animus toward Bezos or the Post, um, he's going to get himself in trouble because, of course, this will look like malicious prosecution on the part of the Justice Department. Uh, and that will, of course, reinforce uh, growing perceptions that this man is treating the White House and the presidency as a kind of 
personal plaything to sort of carry out his various personal vendettas and uh, to uh, line his personal coffers. Well, we know that there's a case going on right now where the Justice Department is suing, and it's an unorthodox kind of suit for an antitrust suit, attacking mm-hmm. the AT&T Time Warner deal. And that was after mm-hmm. Trump's criticism of the deal and CNN, which is owned by Time Warner, but the judge mm-hmm. is not allowing that in. So it's already mm-hmm. shown that it can take an orthodox step. So might it do that here? Mm-hmm. I mean, it could happen, right? It, it could. But, but the, again, what's sort of odd here is you know, I, I'm I'm down with, if I can put it in that kind of hipster way, I'm I'm down with getting serious about antitrust law again. And it would be wonderfully, you know, good news if it looked like uh, Trump himself were interested in this in a kind of an across the board way, in a kind of a general principled way. But if you're just sort of selectively targeting people who happen to be your personal enemies for antitrust investigations or tax violation investigations and so forth, all while your own companies and multiple other companies are doing exactly exactly what Amazon has been doing, and exactly what Time Warner has been doing, and exactly what all of these other large firms that are currently being investigated uh, are doing, then it begins to make it, you know, it begins to make it look like this is not a case of the rule of law. This is a case of, uh, again, somebody who's governing by whim and, and on the basis of personal animus. So let's let's turn to what, he, again, what he could do, what the president could do. Mm-hmm. Brad Parscale, who's managing Trump's 2020 presidential campaign, said in a tweet last Thursday, once the market figures out that a single USPS rule change will crush Amazon's bottom line, we will see. Who raises the post office rates? Well, that's determined by the postal, the post office board itself. Uh, the president could have some influence on that, right? I mean, it's not an altogether sort of untethered agency. It isn't, it isn't, it's a federal instrumentality. Um, and that's another thing I actually kind of wanted to point out earlier is I thought, well, if your concern uh, is that the post office isn't charging Amazon enough, uh, perhaps there should be an inquiry into why the post office is charging it so little and indeed why it's charging all. It's so little for all package deliveries. My understanding is that it charges about half to Amazon and other package deliverers what UPS, FedEx, and other such shipping agencies do. What if it were to raise the rates up to three quarters of what those other firms do? That, it would seem to me, uh, would keep the post office in the black and still make it a better value for the shippers uh, than FedEx or UPS or any other competing private delivery service. Another thing is the stock market. Amazon is down um, more than 4% mm-hmm. today and yes. it's plunged 11% uh, last week. So after an Axios report that the president was, quote, obsessed with regulating the company. So this is also taking, you know, hitting his his stock market bragging rights. It is. Uh, it does do that. But on the other hand, it also, uh, of course, diminishes the size of Jeff Bezos' portfolio, right? And my understanding is that Mr. Bezos has lost something like uh, 4 to $10 billion in recent days from his portfolio, thanks to his Amazon holdings taking a hit. And my guess was it would be that uh, Trump maybe derives more pleasure from knowing that Mr. Bezos' portfolio is dropping than he takes pain, uh, that he finds pain uh, in the suffering that the uh, tech stocks as a whole are enduring as a result of these uh, strange and obsessive uh, tweets. So let's just go bottom line here, Bob. Mm-hmm. About uh, forty-five seconds left. Okay. What, what, in your view, will come of this? Will just it just be another round of tweets, and, and that's it? Will anything really come of this? 
I think some. I think there will be more fallout in the sense that there will be more dickering back and forth between Trump and Bezos, uh, or Trump and Amazon, um, and maybe you know Bezos will say something nice about Trump, or will kowtow in some way, and then it'll all go away. Or Mr. Bezos will sort of stand up for his company and for himself, uh, and this could end up into you know this could sort of culminate in protracted litigation. Uh, he's taking on a pretty powerful enemy this time, somebody who's forty times richer than he is. So uh, I'd be quite interested to see how that plays out. Uh, well, we'll, you will, we will talk more about that as it goes along. If it, it if there's any uh, more to these, any more tweets coming, that's Bob Hockett. He's a professor at Cornell Law School. The Environmental Protection Agency already has concluded that Obama-era fuel economy standards aimed at slashing greenhouse gas emissions are too aggressive and need to be revised. Agency officials briefed California regulators on their conclusion last week as they put the final touches on a document justifying the decision to roll back automobile gas mileage and pollution standards, according to people familiar with the discussions. EPA Administrator Scott Prude is expected to formally announce the move tomorrow during an event at a Virginia car dealership. My guest is Charles Warren, head of the environmental law practice at Kramer, Levin, Neff, Tallis, and Frankel. Chuck, tell us about the changes the Trump administration is going to propose to the Obama rules. Well, the, the Obama rule, June, is in effect uh, really requires by 2025 that you have uh, fuel economy getting uh, 54.5 miles per gallon which is for cars and light trucks. And that's uh, you know, roughly double what it was at the beginning of the Obama administration. And uh, there, there's supposed to be a mid-course correction look at it, which was done, started to be done in, in 2016. And the Obama administration then basically said, we're not going to do anything. Now the Trump administration, for the years 2022 to 2025, they now want to roll those back, uh, and not even, not even to, uh, not the, not even anywhere near 54, and you know it may be closer to what it is in 2018, which is like 38 or even below that. And so they're trying to really turn the clock back uh, quite a bit on this, and it's going to have obviously many repercussions, particularly with the California uh, waiver in place. Right. Let's talk about the California waiver, because that allows California to set its own pollution and gas mileage standards, and other states follow that. And the state AG has already said that the state is going to resist any changes. So can we expect a long legal battle here? Yes. Here's the problem uh, for the automakers, actually. And that's why they're getting a little more than they bargained for with this aggressive attempt to roll back uh, the Obama fuel economy standards. Uh, California has a waiver that's been in the Clean Air Act since 1972, and the waivers have been granted, and they're allowed to set their own standards, as you indicated. And other states can follow the California standards if they follow them exactly. And there are about 12 states that follow that. And those states, if you look at them, you know, they're like New York, Pennsylvania, a bunch of other pretty big states. Uh, they account for about 35% of the cars made in the United States. So if nothing else happens and they roll back the federal standards and the California standards stay in place, 
then the auto industry is going to be faced with making two different kinds of cars, which they hate. They're not going to want to do that. And so what it means, they're going to have to follow the California standards as, as, as a practical matter. They're not going to want to have a car marketed below the California standards. So the, what, what will happen if it plays out is that the uh, administration might try and challenge the California waiver, which is in place till 2025, and there will be a titanic battle on that. And Chuck, how long would it take for the EPA to propose new rules, have hearings, and do all the different things that need that are needed for a change? Yeah, they have. You know, they they, they they're going to say that the standards for 2022 20, to 25 are not appropriate, but then they do have to go through a whole rulemaking process and have a comment period, and, and that'll be challenged, and this could be any, a number of months, quite a few months, before Let's, that would happen. And meanwhile, you know, you, you have lead times for the auto industry, and uh, they'll, they'll be faced at some point with a deadline where they have to then say, okay, we have to start manufacturing cars, and we're going to have to continue, you know, with the California standards. That, so, that's my, and that's my sense. So it's going to be it's going to be messy, very messy, exactly. And I think the the industry asked for some relief, but I don't think they wanted it to go as far as the Trump administration is taking it. They just wanted the way you calculate the standards to be a little more leeway, so that when they had some of these SUVs and other things, they it'd be easier to meet those standards. But they really didn't want a wholesale rollback to the kind of levels that the administration is talking about, because I think it makes them look bad, because a lot of these companies have said we're on board on fuel economy, we want to, you know, push electric cars, et cetera. And so I think it puts them in a difficult position. Speaking about difficult positions, EPA Chief Scott Pruitt has come under more criticism. There were disclosures about his use of first-class flights to travel around the world, trips to Italy, and now there are disclosures about this leasing of a Washington apartment uh, in a very unusual terms from a lobbyist. Do you think he can survive this latest uh, disclosure? Well, these are the kinds of disclosures that usually have resulted in people losing their jobs because the public takes a dim view of uh, people in high office sort of abusing their position to make these kinds of special deals and that other people can't get. Um, but Scott Pruitt has been someone who's been very in sync with the, what the Trump administration wants to happen, and it's possible that he could survive because he's doing everything that the Trump administration wants him to do and is pushing very aggressively to do that. So I think it's a question of maybe if enough stuff keeps piling up, that he'll have gone too far. But so far, he seems to be surviving. I've heard something incredible. I mean, that he traveled with 30, uh, 30 in his protection detail, 30 people. And um, there's, there's been a lot coming out. So, But we will keep apprised of what's going on. And uh, thank you so much, Chuck, for being on the show. That's Chuck Kramer. He's the head of the environmental law practice at Kramer 11. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com slash podcast. I'm June Grosso. This is Bloomberg.